And we are on with Audrey Lim. Hello, Audrey Lim. Welcome Hi. to the Shangri La Art Podcast. <laughs> we for us a bit wacky people trying to do this until 4 a.m. today in the morning. You guys are uh, beasts. I mean, I have to give a disclaimer. We put 12 noon to 12 midnight, right? And then we got so much content and so much good stuff that we had to extend it to 16 hours so oh. here, until 4 a.m. Just oh, thank you. Exactly. Coffee just appeared. Coffee <laughs> is here. Water is here. I've got Audrey Lim. She's a creative consultant with us, and also quite exciting. If we can speak about this, that you were part of the NMP. Process yesterday. Yes. So uh, we're not. We don't have results in just yet. And uh, the the entire process was quite exciting. So traditionally, the arts NMP there isn't such a thing as an arts NMP. You're just an NMP, right? And they take it from various sectors. So there's a business person, and there's an arts person, there's a social work person, and the ultimate decision maker is the government select committee. But out of all the different segments, like business and social, arts has always played a more a more interactive role in this. In yeah. that the arts come traditionally holds a town hall, puts up candidates, you grill your candidates, mm-hmm. and then you canvass support. So mm-hmm. it's it's been really interesting. I've been part of town halls before, mm-hmm. and on Thursday, in fact Wednesday this week, I got to see it from the other side as a candidate standing yes. with Arts Hong yeah. and it was really interesting really really fun people uh, with very good ideas all stood and yes I think at the end of it I've just made really cool friends that we're going to have coffee with on Thursday so however this shakes out we're, we're going to be friends mm-hmm. yeah you should know that we support you Oh bless! Sorry, <laughs> thank you so much. Listening in from overseas, and NMP is a nominated member of parliament, and very so. Yeah, part of the the political process. Yes. Yeah, so I might get in parliament, guys. This is so exciting. <laughs> It's amazing. I mean, uh, I don't know any other country that has such a position. You know, for a nominated MP for the arts. You know, so Singapore we're quite unique in so many ways. You know, mm-hmm. this is one of it. Uh, and I always look forward to seeing, you know, what changes or what impact such a position will give us, you know, on the ground. And I know that the task is quite daunting for the nominated MP because, in a way, you have to uh, represent the entire arts faculty, which is like dance and music and theater and visual arts, and we are not exactly very. Easy people to deal with. <laughs> Number one, I mean, personality issues aside, it's also how the issues facing performance arts mm-hmm. is very different from publishing side. Is mm. very different from you know, in fact, just within performance arts, the mm. concerns of the music community is mm. very different from the concerns of the mm. theatre community. Mm. And so, I, I mean, whoever gets the position, I expect them to face a lot of lobbying from a lot mm. of different quarters, mm. maybe for things that they don't fully understand yet. Mm. Because we all come from different practices, right? True. So we have yeah. to have that building of a bridge, you know, yeah. trying to demystify yeah. for yeah. a wider, maybe non-arts audience yeah. who are asking. But all of you all the same, right? Isn't it? <laughs> you know, can I have one homogenous solution for all you crazy yeah. creative types? <laughs> And yeah, so there's a lot of there's a lot of I suppose mediation that goes into yeah. that position. Both intra art and art toward the rest of the non art community. Yeah, I mean personally for me, 
uh, I am I happen to be president of the Art Galleries Association, you know, here in Singapore. And even if without that position, right, just working alongside commercial galleries here is not a walk in the park, you yes. know, because everybody have different ideologies of right. what, uh, including artists, you know, not just the galleries, uh, on what galleries should be doing mm-hmm. and what galleries are, you know. So some people expect art galleries to be sleek and, you know, like really polished and, you know, uh, have a really uh, great clientele, local and international. And then some want galleries to be more a place where local artists can uh, be more active in, you know. And then uh, some people want to see great art, but uh, of course not everybody can afford to buy, yeah. you know. But then it is a business at the end of the day. You know, we, 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 we in a way, galleries provide for livelihoods of not just artists, not just themselves, but also for people like art handlers, conservators, you know, cleaners, security people, they all come into play. So in itself, the visual arts gallery world is already quite daunting. I cannot imagine how it would be like to be an NMPI. Uh, you know, the, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, and that's and that's the. I think it's so important that we give the due that we we should to the entire ecosystem that goes on within every single practice. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, you just talked about how the cleaners can come into it, and mm-hmm. all the all the conser- the conservation work mm-hmm. that goes into it. Mm-hmm. In music, people just see the musician; they don't mm-hmm. see the True. people who lay the cables, the audio engineers, yeah. the concert promoters, yeah. the managers. Yeah. There's an entirely huge world that yeah. lies beneath the surface, yeah. and to manage all of that. We first need to recognize yeah. all of that. And and may I add that some people who lay cables did not or are not doing it because they can't be at the front singing or playing, you know, mm-hmm. strumming the guitars, but it is by choice. Yes. You know, some people really love doing the back end, yes. you know, uh, engineering type yes. work, you know, it's, you know, it's not, they are not second fiddle to the artists who are up at the front. And in fact, there would be no artists up at the front if there was no one to plug them in and yes, make them sound yes, good. Yes. There's so many elements and so many balls in the air that I suppose the average audience member, let alone someone who doesn't consume that type of mm. art, that, that's, that's lying there waiting for yeah. someone to recognize it. So Audrey, I've also heard mm. from many sources that you are a very important person in the uh, music scene in Singapore. Oh. You know, that you know that's, that's very flattering <laughs> can you can you uh, tell us how true that is and what do you do in the music scene actually i wear many hats mm. so i am a what what they'd like to call a gig musician i sing nights mm. so i when i say singing nights that means i perform regularly at hotels and bars or at mm. least i did mm. pre-covid mm. Uh, i sing at events and i sing jingles for commercials mm. Or at least, you know, we did in the before times. <laughs> and I also am part of the wider ecosystem. I mm. was a music manager, mm. which means I would have to take a band or a performer and represent them to the world. Mm. And sort of in Singapore, we've got a very nascent music industry. In fact, most people call it a music scene because mm. it's not fully developed yet. Mm. And so in Singapore specifically, a music manager has to wear several hats Mm. all at once. Whereas in other countries, maybe they have different roles for different things. Mm. So a music manager in Singapore would mean that I was their 
booker. Mm -hmm. I am their tour manager. Mm -hmm. I am in charge of their branding. Mm -hmm. I'm in charge of getting them gigs. Mm -hmm. I'm in charge of getting their tech writer and their comfort writer sorted mm -hmm. out, which mm -hmm. means if they go and perform in a venue, what type of equipment they need, mm -hmm. what type of white roses and only blue mm -hmm. M&Ms they want. Their <laughs> and I'm also in charge of getting them their endorsements, mm -hmm. negotiating their contracts. Mm -hmm. I'm in charge of wiping their noses <laughs> when they have to, you know, do various things and they yeah, don't have a yeah, spare for. Yeah. I have to chaperone them at media interviews, give yeah. them media training. Yeah. I do a bunch of things. So basically everything that is required to get mm. a band ready to go, mm, mm, you know. Mm, so that that's sort of what a music manager yeah. has to to do among other things yeah i have two things that come to mind but one first of all mm. you differentiated scene to industry yeah. you know and i think we carelessly interchange or use this word you know like so i don't know so carelessly casually. yeah so casually like in visual arts especially mm -hmm. you know we will just say oh yeah visual arts scene and then a visual arts industry and then some people will argue on the word industry and but we never, I've never heard anyone differentiated <laughs> yeah. those words like you did. Right. You know, uh, can you expand a little bit? Yeah. Is it unique to music per se that there is this distinction? Yeah. The, the, yeah. It might be applicable. I, I don't think I, I know enough about every <laughs> single scene to, yeah. to, to profess to have a strong opinion about it. Mm. But to me, what's the, the main difference between a scene and an industry? is the degree of professionalizing within that group. Mm -hmm. Is it a music business? A lot of people forget that we're, what we're trying to do is not just create for it to be sustainable and for us to be able to do it with any degree of, of uh, length of time mm -hmm. and stamina. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we must pay attention to the, the money element of it. Mm -hmm. And I know that's very unfashionable. No one wants mm. to talk about that. Mm. The minute you attain any degree of success, oh, you're a sellout. Mm. You know, it's very, it's, it's not cool to talk about it. But mm. in order for it to be sustainable, mm. you need to have a check, you know. And so that's why I believe that the, the key differentiating factor is whether the business element in the music business or the dance business, you mm. know, like whether that part is taken care of. Mm. And in order to, to start on that path, mm. you, exactly where we started from you know mm. what you what you talked about how there are different different roles that mm. all pour into that mm. if you do not have a structure mm. it's very difficult to continue with any sort of length of time because mm. you lose you lose so much mm. the minute one person decides to step out mm -hmm. do they hand over their knowledge do mm. they pass it down mm. and without that continuity you're constantly you're constantly facing this Sisyphean situation where you're starting from the bottom and you're creating mm, all mm, over again mm, and it's just all which can be a good thing no doubt but it can also be wasted energy yeah and if we can just understand that we are standing on the shoulders of giants mm. and we are building on someone else's work acknowledge that work mm. instead of trying to you know be clever clogs and saying no one has done this ever in the mm. world i have to do it from scratch you know yeah. it's 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 trying to get over that naivety and that yeah. i suppose that ego of thinking that no one has done this before yeah. the first yeah. one you yeah know? yeah you know in, in regards to the local music scene mm. right i something happened with you know like recently with me you know and and i was observing on instagram you know how uh friends my age 
they were reposting screen captures of something that I'm not so familiar with, but then a lot of them were doing it. And this yeah. was like Singapore content, right? right. And then I asked them, what's this thing that's, you know, everybody's reposting? So yeah. it turned out that it is, they are screenshots of uh, something from Netflix mm-hmm. and it is called Teenage Textbook. Oh, so cute. <laughs> okay, then I decided, I have to confess, I did not watch it when it first Right. come out even though i was kind of in that scene that era yeah you know so i watched it recently right one of the uh, amazing things to me in in that film is the fact that the entire playlist was singaporean yes mm-hmm. you know like whether good or bad doesn't matter mm-hmm. but singapore written composed recorded you know some of these bands even had uh, record labels like legit ones like Sony and all that. In fact, the sad thing is after you know I I watched that film and I went to Google to look for some of this music right and I can't find them mm-hmm. because you know this was pre internet yeah. era right. So what happened to us? You know, like I I I thought it brought back memories to me like uh, teenage textbook and then you know, the monster film studio at Substation yeah. and then all the gigs and, you know, there were recording studios here. Mm-hmm. Like, musicians were hanging out at Substation all the time, you know, collaborating with artists, theatre yeah. people. And now it seems, I know that it still happens, mm-hmm. but it doesn't seem as organic or as, I don't know, as natural. It is, is it too much of an industry focus it's like you know like uh, in one of our other conversations i've asked whether today when people get into the arts the fact that it could be a career mm-hmm. is the killer to the growth of the scene itself right because when you want a career then you have to strategize right yes. you have to like you know all your milestones and what you need to have the, right. the, before that structure what, as you said just now yeah what do you think I think you've hit upon the answer within your question <laughs> by by mentioning the substation. Yeah. I think that that was that was the key. There mm. was a place that artists knew that they could come to mm. and interact with other artists, and it was very organic because mm. when Fat Frog was still around, and this mm. is before my time, mm-hmm. but I I listened to my cousins talk about it. Yeah. I listened to older artists talk about it. I know it I'm was, old. <laughs> oh, no. We're all youthful about <laughs> Okay, 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 sorry. (laughs) But the fact that we had Fat Frog, we being the artist community, had Fat Frog, it was not unheard of for you to go there as a as a practitioner of one art form, Mm. overhear something and Mm -hmm. say, Hey, that's really cool. Can you come over Mm. here and just do a thing with me really quick? Okay, Mm. thanks for laying that track or thank you for contributing this. Mm. Let's go for coffee later. Mm. There's the Rojak place down the road. (laughs) You know, it was it was so easy because Mm. there was a venue, there was a space Mm. where you knew it was like a community club Mm. that you could go there and be with creative people Mm. and organically share these things. Mm. I think we really did lose something. But by listening to all these stories Mm. and how fond everyone is when they speak about that crowd. Yeah, I have to I have to say that Yes, I agree with all of that. Mm-hmm. And in terms of space, right? We're talking about substation, the space where mm-hmm. a lot of this magic happens. Yes. And Fat Frog is a cafe or was a cafe, mm-hmm. for those who don't know, mm-hmm. that was at the garden of the yes. substation. Yeah. So it was open access. Anybody could walk through. And the, despite having that cafe, there used to be performances there. Yeah. Uh, but in addition to that, 
surrounding the substation, there were at least one, two, three, four kopitiams. Yes. Something like this, yeah. you know. And anyone from overseas who wants to meet a Singapore-based or Singaporean artist just needs to go to any of these kopitiam on any, at any time of the day. You know, at night, you meet the beer-drinking guys. In the day, you meet the coffee-drinking guys. But they are there. Musicians, theatre people, you know. So the space should not just be like a theatre, you know, a rehearsal room yes. or like exhibition hall. You need social space, yes. right? And social space that's ahem, affordable, for artists yeah. to spend the whole no day. Doubt. No doubt. <laughs> you know. So we have lost that. We yeah. have lost that culture. And I think it was a large blow to the creative scene, not just one particular aspect of the creative mm. scene, but I think we really truly lost part of our culture when that was removed mm-hmm. from the ecosystem. Mm. How can we now maybe, I don't know, consciously find a place like that. I mean, I'm, I, I'm thinking not necessarily going back to the substation mm-hmm. itself, but, you know, places could be created or organically especially, yes. you know. I, I think that specific to the substation, it does face a, a threat. Mm. I'm not sure whether everyone's familiar with the arts venue, arts housing mm-hmm. discussion that's mm-hmm. going on, mm-hmm. but they have been, there have been concerns raised mm that the substation is going the way of Centre 42. Mm-hmm. And it's a very thorny subject. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very up, up for discussion. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to venture a, an opinion about, mm-hmm. about the situation. But mm-hmm. there is a chance that mm-hmm. that space might be lost forever. Mm-hmm. And while they, while, you know, the, the scene has moved on, there are new grazing areas, hopefully. And we've, kind of gone back to our silos. Mm. And that is the, the real trouble here. Mm. That because everyone is so siloed, everyone is so disconnected, mm-hmm. those bonds might not be formed in the next generation. Mm-hmm. And it would be such a loss to Singapore society it's not true. to gift this yeah. connection and community yeah. to yeah. young upcoming artists. Yeah. I mean, I found friendships when I was hanging out there, you yeah. know, that is you know we're still in touch until today you know like the first time as a young person that i get to see in front of my eyes and get in contact with artists from artist village and from uh, la salle and you know nafa was all there you know because they were hanging out there as students and you know uh, even if they there were no shows we did not need to have a show exhibition or yeah as as a reason to be there Mm -hmm. it's just a place you feel you belong and you just hang out and then in the hope of meeting other people and have discussions and stuff like that. One thing I'm curious now also is how did you get into doing what you do now? Like what what's kind of like if you if we can backtrack a little bit, how did you get into this business of singing and music and Singing's also got law and theatre thrown into the background as well. Oh yes, maybe I should contextualize. Because <laughs> I do I do several things. So when, when you asked me what my designation was for this mm. podcast, it was difficult to try and figure mm. out what mm. I should put on a mm. you know, a label as mm. it were. And so my background began my grounding was in theatre. That was always mm. something I was keen on as a just in, as a student. That was mm. my main thing. I think my main turn left, turn right, fork mm. in the road moment 
was when I was applying to university mm -hmm. and I was trying to decide what to do. Mm -hmm. So I spoke to one of the directors I worked with and said, oh, you know, should I just like pack it all in mm -hmm. and just go to theatre school? And he told mm -hmm. me, your brain is still soft. <laughs> You've just done your A-levels. Why don't you do something that requires your brain now? Yeah, yeah. So I applied and I, I, I applied to NUS Law School. Mm -hmm. And then for giggles, I, I spoke to the same director and he told me, hey, I'm actually going over to the Singapore Repertory Theatre mm -hmm. to head up their new youth training program. It's called The Young Company. Mm -hmm. The Young Company has been around for a very long time. Mm -hmm. He had just been invited to come over to mm -hmm. be their new artistic director. And he said, do you want to come through? These are the fees. And I'm like, I don't think my parents will be <laughs> chill with two sets of fees. He said, okay, I'll, I'll see about getting you a scholarship. And he did. Yeah. Yeah. So I got the full ride scholarship to train with the Singapore Repertory Theatre mm -hmm. under Michael Cobbage. Mm -hmm. And then I got into NUS Law School mm. and I was like, uh-oh, now what, you know, what mm. do I do now? And so I decided to do both. Mm. And my parents thought I was insane. Everyone thought I was insane, but they had even more noise to, to make at me mm. when in my second year of both programs, because mm. law was a four-year course and theater was a three-year, was a three-year program. Mm. In my second year of both, I was asked to do a voiceover, which was my very, very first mm. voiceover. Mm. And it was someone who had come through the, the young company and said, oh, you guys are actors, right? Mm. Well, yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, that means you can do accents, right? And I said, yes, of course we can. You know, you learn on the job. You yeah. just say yes yeah. first and then yeah. you figure it out. <laughs> and they said, okay, it, we've got this really cool project. There is a Korean video game that's been topping the charts and now they want to make an English version of it. Okay. So do you guys want to come along and do some video game characters? And of mm. course it was a heck yes, yeah, right? Yeah. That is such a cool job. Yeah. And so that was my first time getting into a voiceover studio. It was the coolest thing ever because you don't think about video game characters mm. having an actual human person behind. Because yeah. when you punch and kick, you know, like they have to get punched and kicked mm. and then they have a noise <laughs> you know that goes with them and then when they die and then mm. they have that long dramatic <laughs> there was a person there was a person in a box who recorded that sound <laughs> and it was super cool and just like as a really tiny tiny sidetrack uh, when we were doing the, the death noises yeah. it was a studio full of guys right yeah. and I just wandered in and I'm like okay and said okay uh, am, I, am I going in oh no no so and so is still in the box but mm. uh, can, can you come over here I'm like, okay, why, what's up? Oh, we need to go and talk to her. And I said, talk to her about what? She's recording the dying noises now. And um, we don't know how to tell her, but she sounds like she's having too good a time in there. <laughs> so, yes, it was, there's a reason the French call it, you know, la petite mort. Yeah. And they were like, oh, can you tell her to tone it down? <laughs> it's a children's game. <laughs> so that was okay. So that's a minor side track. But getting back on point, after that voiceover session, which is my first and it was so yeah, cool. Yeah. Uh, the producer at that studio said, hey, uh, have you ever thought about doing radio? And I said, yes, mm. I, that sounds cool. And he said, oh, we're putting together a crew mm. and we're looking for a newsreader mm. and I think you'd be a really good fit. Mm. So, of course, I said yes. Mm. And then my parents had a fit because mm. they're like, what do you want to do? You're doing law? You're doing <laughs> what is radio nonsense? <laughs> you know? Asian parents being very concerned about yeah. their offspring derailing <laughs> their lives. Yeah. And so I said yes. Mm. There was little or no pay because mm. the radio station only wanted to pay two jobs and the rest of the team, our scriptwriter, our producer mm. and myself, were getting paid out of their salary. Wow. So it was really a pull yourself up, we're doing yeah. this from the from scratch kind yeah. of situation. 
and and it was a full-time gig. So while everyone else at uni was applying for exchange programs, and I was really keen on exchange programs in third year, like that's when you go, I couldn't because I decided that my exchange program was a full-time gig at Radioland. (laughs) (laughs) And it was really such a great experience. And that taught me so much about the media scene in Singapore, the structure of of working within a large organization. Um, figuring out what the difference was when you work for a large art company mm. versus working for a large government company mm. versus working with a, because the, the, the name of the show is Rod Montero and the Married Men, because clearly mm. I'm both married and a man. They also had the, their own company, the Married Men Private Limited, uh-huh. and working with a small SME, a micro entity mm. within uh, a corporate a creative space that was a different experience mm-hmm. and then working by myself as a freelancer mm-hmm. that was a different experience again mm-hmm. and it was just really eye-opening to see all these things simultaneously mm-hmm. that the difference in the way that you'd be treated as a freelancer versus if you were with an SME versus mm-hmm. if you were with a large government funded mm-hmm. board mm-hmm. versus when you were with an arts company and you could see that people would size you up differently and they would speak to you differently Mm, and they would actually pay you on time if you were with (laughs) one and not with the other. It was very, very eye-opening. So that's when I I started getting to know my scene, getting to know like how media works, how journalism works, you know, because of the the fact that we were in, you were based, the radio station was Mm. in SPH. Mm. I got to like hang out with journalists, one of my closest friends that I made at that time we were queuing up for the bathroom, mm. you know, as you do. And then she turned around and she said, is this a VPL or does it just look like <laughs> VPL or cellulite? And right. I didn't know this girl's name, yeah. right? And, and then we were just discussing her undergarments yeah. as you do. You know, <laughs> and she said, oh, we're all going to Zoop, you're coming. And I said, oh, okay. So Zoop, you know, yeah. like the place yeah. where all the young hip media yeah. people and everyone else goes. Yeah. But we're not going into Zoop, we're going to this other place. We're going to Cuba and you're coming. Yeah. And I said, Okay, I guess I am. And that's where I met a lot of people who I'm still friends with till this day. Mm -hmm. And they are both in the journalist space, journalism space and in the music space. So that just happened to work out Mm -hmm. that way. So then what drew you to the music per se, you know, out of all of that? Oh, yes. Before that, I want to know what happened to the law. (laughs) Oh, I I, I, I did. I completed. So Uh at the end of of my fourth year, so now it was a a really massive crossroads because... If I chose to continue on radio, I could not get called to the bar and vice versa. And in fact, I was specifically sat down by the head of the Board of Legal Education at the time. And he told me that I was not allowed to be on air because that was moonlighting, because the bar exam was government subsidized. So if I had, and he, he, it was really funny. He said that if you have financial difficulties, you can always give tuition. Intuition is not moonlighting. No, no. So I I thought that was very generous of him. (laughs) But basically, the message was very clear. Like, it's either you stop that nonsense on air, or we're not letting you take the exam. And it was was another, again, fork in the road moment, right? So do I turn my back on radio, or Mm. what do I do? Mm. And that's when, it was around that time that I made a conscious choice that for 10 years, I would say yes to everything. Okay. Mm. And I would say yes, if I ever was at a crossroads again, mm. I would say yes to the option that would give me the most options, mm. right? Mm. And so just as like my Michael Corbis told me back when I was a young thing, just getting out of GC, he said, 
your brain is still soft. Yeah, Do yeah. the thing that requires the brain being soft yeah, first. Yeah, and that's been my guiding principle ever since. Like nice. if it would close too many doors, I would yeah. do that option first. Yeah. Okay. But to answer your question, Dad, like <laughs> I, when I was in, in junior college, I was doing a lot of musicals. Mm-hmm. And one of the musicals that I was cast in was The Wiz, which is the all black version of the Wizard of Oz story. Mm-hmm. So I think the Scarecrow was Michael Jackson or was that the Tin Man? I can't remember, <laughs> but it was really cool. And and Diana Ross was Dorothy. Mm-hmm. So that was a really, really fantastic piece of, of theater. And it was so cool. I mean, we watched a recording, which mm-hmm. is not the same thing, obviously, mm-hmm. but wow, when you listen to that soundtrack and you've got Diana Bubby Ross like, <laughs> and Michael Jackson, it was phenomenal it was phenomenal and i was casting the role of dorothy and i was like yes you know i'm going to do diana (laughs) and then they took all my songs away and exactly so i was like wait what how come i'm not needed for the the past recording and i was told by by my teacher oh that's because you can't sing and i said but you've you've never heard me i've never auditioned you've never heard me sing and she said oh no we're giving it to so-and-so and And so glinda will be singing the song so glinda will be singing somewhere over the rainbow and i said but Shall I try? Can I can I set up yeah. a slot? Can I audition for yeah. you? And then you decide. She yeah. says, oh no, Audrey, you and I, we have faces. We are not classical beauties <laughs> like oh, this person yes. and the other person. We are always bound for character parts. So we should get used to this. And I was 17 years old. I had a very brittle yeah. 17-year-old. You know, <laughs> and I'm finding myself, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still growing, yeah. you know, hormones and stuff. Yeah. And that really stopped me. So for years, I believed that I could not sing. And it was only when I was in uni, I, I fell in with the music crowd. And it was the best decision ever because the best validation I could give to myself, to mm. my 17-year-old brittle self, mm was to get paid professionally to do the very thing that this teacher told me I could not do. So that's when I started playing gigs. I don't need her to tell me that I'm a Mm. good singer. Mm. I don't need her to be convinced that I'm a good artist. Mm. I'll just go out and get paid in the market. The market will tell me I'm a good artist. You know, so that was my my way of regaining that power that she tried to take from me. Mm. Yeah, because I think when you're a kid, you're a little bit scared. Yeah, yeah. With a vengeance. Exactly. (laughs) When you're a little thing, you're like, oh, what do you yeah. mean? What do you mean I can't do something, yeah, you know? Yeah. So that's sort of been my little motivation to just try and prove to myself if the market thinks I, I will fall, then, you know, yeah. I'm happy to yeah. agree with the market. Which is, you know, what I feel as well in terms of, you know, other than uh, another term, I think, or another way to look at it is not market per se, but the critics. Yes. You yes. Know, okay. Uh, because we need the critics. Absolutely. You know, you need the critics to improve to uh, check yourself yeah you know critics don't always kill you or mm-hmm. if you don't let them they will not be able to kill you True. you know uh, I mean Edward McGregor who thought he could sing in a movie oh, no. you know <laughs> right he had a fabulous vocal coach yeah I mean this this is you know the the, the, the people we have today uh, on our podcast are very very diverse yeah. just Prior to you, we, we're going to uh, hear from Datuk Kairul after you. Cool. But we just spoke to him a few minutes ago, yeah, just right. before you arrived. Right. And he started off as an artist. He His work is in the National Gallery. And he wow. is now CEO of Media Prima uh, TV Networks in Malaysia. You know, who thought an artist coming up from La Salle studied painting can be CEO of a TV station, you know, <laughs> right? And he's a film producer and, you know, all sorts of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, 
and I think you get feedback from your critics, yeah. from the industry, from the market, like you said, and then you figure out, check yourself, what and 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 move on to the next step with what you can do with yourself or what you think actually, uh, you're made for. You know, some some people go to art school thinking they'll be artists, and then you end up as a conservators, and you know they are better off at that. Right. You know, I know, for example, uh, theater managers here in Singapore who I regard as super managers. Right. You know, and uh, people are always going to them to ask them for help. You know, to manage their production. Right. And there are such things. You know, it's not just the directors who are super, not just the actors and actresses who are super, but managers can be super too. They're super crew, they're super, you know, <laughs> caterer and all this. You know, as long as we play our role, you know, we understand what we're about. Uh, I have a friend, a long-time friend, who wanted to be a singer. Right. He wanted to be a rock singer. Mm-hmm. And then somebody told him, you're too short. You know, you're too short and you're like, uh, you know, your voice is not good enough and you're too short, you know. Oh. So maybe you should consider something else, you know, like within the music industry. And he did. He, he self-reflected and he became, I think, for quite a while, one of the best sound engineers in Singapore. That's fantastic. You know, and then he travels, you know, he would uh, be asked to go over to Vietnam, let's say, to uh, supervise, you know, a concert, you know, the, the setup of the sound for a concert. And he told me he would like fly over, you know, just check on uh, speaker placements and all these technical stuff and then get paid like $20,000 and then you fly back, you know, and this is like the 90s. Not bad for a short guy, huh? Right, yeah. <laughs> and and he, he was very proud of that. Right. You know, that he is one of the best sound engineers around. And I say this because uh, I followed him around. We've mm-hmm. met other singers and other sound engineers yeah. and they would vouch, you know, mm-hmm. for each other. You know, there's... And I, I see him work at concerts in theatre. He would volunteer in right. theatre. So, yeah. I mean, sometimes it's a downer, but sometimes it's a wake-up call, yeah. you know. And I think for you, maybe it was a challenge, yeah? It was yeah, like a true. sort of a dare. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a very soft touch for these things. Mm-hmm. So it's it was very easy when I was, especially the, when I was very, very little, my cousins would try to get rid of me because I was the younger cousin hanging around. They were like, oh, I bet you can't be quiet five <laughs> minutes. And because I was, it was so easy to provoke me when yeah. I was younger and hot yeah. I was like, fine, I will be quiet for five minutes. <laughs> you know, so things like that, I, I think that I, I've managed to harness the best bits of that yeah. attitude yeah. where while still, you know, molding off and maybe shaving off the bits which make me hot-headed and mm. silly to mm. rise to silly challenges. Mm. So I think that's what you get with age, you mellow out. <laughs> can you tell me, Audrey, now that you've been in this music industry yeah. and scene, yeah. what is quintessentially Singapore music? If we had an answer to that, I think that would be a one-hour one discourse, yes. one-hour lecture on that, because Singapore music, we don't have a sound just yet. Okay. The same way that if you listen to a, a, a band, a specific type from a specific era, it's kind of like sometimes like wine. You know, you mm. if you've got the, the training for it, you can say, oh, this sounds like a very Australian band circa like, mm. 1990s, yes, right? Mm. In Singapore, we did have movements, I mm. want to say. 
But and and my my knowledge and where I'm speaking from is from the English language mm. market. So I I don't want to presume to speak for every language, mm. Mm. but specifically for in English music. And we did have several movements. So I think when you were talking earlier on about the teenage textbook movie, mm. that was when the the era was alternative music, mm. right? And everyone was an indie band. Everyone mm. was alternative, mm. and so you had really cool sounds like Humpback Oak. You know, mm. it was very specific sound, and you could tell that that they they were coming from the same space, mm. largely because most people did actually record in the same space. Mm. A lot of people were using the same engineer at the same yeah. studios, yeah. and consequently, we did kind of get a little bit of a Singapore sound okay. from that as a consequence of everyone using the same space. Can I? Pause you for no, a moment. No, no, no. You know, I remember I was kind of hanging around at that time, <laughs> and this terminology, right? You you said alternative, but prior to alternative, I remember the buzzword was indie. Yeah. You know, and indie in every sense. Mm-hmm. At that time, indie music just came out from UK. Yeah. You know, yes. and then the idea of indie as in DIY. Correct. You know, and the idea of indie as in not big label, mm-hmm. small label. And indie recording studios. So, is that spirit still alive? You know, can you, in terms of talking about Singapore sound, right, yes. or Singapore music? I think because they borrowed a lot from that British movement before Nirvana. Then you know was the uh, Green Day, yeah. the yeah. grunge. This was pre grunge, yeah. you know. And I think that was where teenage textbook was at. Yeah. The right. Yeah. It was the indie post indie, and there was a little bit of punk, a little bit of coming in already because yeah. everything in life is cyclical right mm. fashion is cyclical music mm. is also cyclical and we we have this game where we're always trying to predict what the next wave is mm. i've gotten you know i've got like 50/50 so like mm. i'm not i'm not very accurate obviously mm. but we we did have a lot of the, the zine culture coming yeah. through as well so yeah. that was part of the diy thing it yeah. was really very organic and it was very easy to just try and grab people mm. And I know we keep going back to to the idea of having like the, the same common space, right? Mm. But you would go to the substation and say, "Does anyone here play instrument?" And then mm. some five hands would shoot up, like, "Oh, can you? Can I borrow you?" And then you mm. start a band, mm. and then you make a zine, and then mm. you create your own like album covers mm. from the art. Or if you didn't know how to do it, you mm. just shout, "Does anyone want to help me with this?" Mm. And then five people would show up. That was the story of Big O, right? Yes, Big O, this defunct music magazine from Singapore started off as. A zine, yes. you know, photocopy, mm-hmm. and yeah. And Big O had international correspondence, right. mm. which was a first for our little island. Yeah. Considering it was a full indie effort, but we yeah. had people studying overseas. Yeah. So they would post the yeah. reviews back to Singapore of the concerts that they yeah. attended. Pre email, guys. Pre internet. <laughs> this is way back when, right? So there was yeah. literally no way, and unless, unless, and they actually did this, to my knowledge, they would have someone buy the the billboard charts. Buy a phone card, telephone Singapore, mm. and read it over the phone to some of the journalists in Singapore. <laughs> because if not, it would take weeks. Yeah. Via the phone. Yeah. You know, so it was really so. Yes, the concert reviews would always take weeks. Yeah. But Billboard, they would scrounge for a change, buy an international calling card, and read it out. <laughs> yeah. And that was the spirit. That was the spirit yeah. that we had back then, mm-hmm. right? And if you're asking whether that's been lost, I I don't. I don't know because mm. it's now that we've given we've been given this this fantastic internety thing, uh, right? I'm I'm more curious not about whether it is lost, but the fact that you know we were inspired yes. by that movement in UK, mm-hmm. the indie movement, and then mm-hmm. later on the Seattle sound, the yeah. grunge sound, yeah. Yeah. 
and you know like and it, it became a positive thing for us you know to be inspired there and then we develop our own language right yeah. so we were getting there and then yeah. somehow something happened and then you know we can it can it can something like that come back, come back again yeah. today like i believe so i i think that the the elements were always there and the the biggest loss again comes back to the the shared spaces mm. and that to me was the biggest biggest decline point mm. for for the music scene for the art scene maybe if i be so bold as to venture mm. that mm. and i think that when when we when we lost that community when we lost the spaces for just hanging out and just paying for a ticket and just having maybe eight bands that you would probably not know about beforehand mm-hmm. individually and collectively you just go in there and you have like indie punk kids mm-hmm. dancing along next to like metalcore kids mm-hmm. and everyone's just having a good time and they're accepting the music mm-hmm. and they're just being very very open-minded mm-hmm. to these things mm-hmm. i think that that spirit has not gone anywhere because we've mm-hmm. got generations of new people coming up and they've got passions and they've got you know tempers and they've mm-hmm. got things that they want to talk about, mm. that I feel is going to be a perpetual thing. Mm. Now the question is, how do we harness that? Mm. How do we give them opportunities to meet each other? Mm. Because now that we cannot meet in person, we cannot stumble upon one another. Mm. What did it used to be? It used to be jamming studios. You would hang mm. out for a coffee after and you just mm. run into people. They don't do that now. My mm. friends who set up different studios, like Tone House studios, mm. they tell me that bands come in and they go straight out mm. and they mm. don't talk to anyone mm. And perhaps living in this world where we're so connected mm. it has ironically made mm. us more apart, live mm. more apart. Because mm. if I don't know you and I've got no way to break the ice, mm. I don't want to be weird and just like come up to you. Mm. But the best things happen when when you do stumble upon yeah. people like that. There is a young person, uh, Isaac, Isaac Chu. Yeah. He created Big Duck uh, as, a, as a, he runs festivals, yeah. right? And they've done, even though they only started in 2019, they've yeah. done four festivals yeah. and they're very cheeky. So yeah. they, they started it because they were applying for babies, which mm. is supposed to be Singapore's alternative mm. festival, right? But this alternative festival weeds out a lot of alternative acts because mm. not everyone gets a spot. Mm. So he created Maybeats <laughs> for the rejects of babies. Yeah, right. And he met one of his partners because yeah. He saw this guy on the bus carrying a guitar case yeah. and he just had a conversation. He was yeah. like, hey, where are you going? What guitar case? Whatever, yeah. you know. And that spirit has been has not been lost because yeah. really Isaac's doing it. Yeah. And he met his other co-founder when they were eating at Bado, you know, like mm. at, at just one of the coffee shops there. Yeah. So again, it comes down to like space and kopitiams. It seems mm. to be a recurring theme yeah. in this, yeah. this conversation. <laughs> I think so. And I, think, yeah, you know, looking upon this idea really, yeah. it's the ties that bind you right? yeah. and how we facilitate that conversation is really important. And now, yeah. I'm so sorry, I kind of have to wrap up the conversation. Wait, wait, I have, I have one more thing oh, to no. say. <laughs> I have one, one thing. thing, very important, I think. The producer, <laughs> producer brain is on. I you know, I, I noticed, you know, with the younger generation <laughs> now, right, that uh, one of the uh, uh, things that move people, mm-hmm. you know, are... Uh, buzzwords yeah people a thing that moves yeah. and and sure. get people together yeah. so the buzzword that we were mentioning for back in the day was indie yeah. and then alternative right you know and i think indie in itself had this very positive connotation right whereas today we hear a lot of very you know confrontational kind of uh, buzzwords right you know maybe that is what 
we need. Do you think that is what we need? Like, you know, because last time when we all shared with each other the idea of indie, right? And then right. everybody took it in in their own way. Whether you are visual artist, musician, theatre right. person, hey, do it yourself. Like, don't wait for people. Don't wait yeah. for money. Don't wait for this. Right. You know, find a way and do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was very positive and empowering. And the yes. alternative was anti-establishment, yes. right? Yes. It's like, you know, screw the big labels. <laughs> we will again do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. But today it's like blame, a lot of blame, I feel. I you understand know. What, you, what you're saying. And I, I think that that comes from a lot of the older musicians I speak to, at the risk of sounding like grumpy old men, mm. right? They say that the younger generation hasn't suffered. <laughs> and, and what they mean by this, uh, and I got this criticism a lot as, yeah. a, as a music manager. Yeah. They told me, you shouldn't take care of them too much. Yeah. They need to learn to struggle. Mm. Because right now, the new generation is... It's a good and bad thing. Mm. They see the successes of Singapore pop musicians. Mm. They see the Sam Willows. They see mm. Gentle Bones. They see Jasmine Sokol. Mm. And now for the first time, it is possible. It looks possible mm. to build your own career in music. Mm. They made it. They look like me. They're about mm. my age. Mm. You know, they made it. I can make it too. Mm. But they don't know that the process yeah. that, that you needed to get on that, that road you needed yeah. to tread and to have someone many someones around mm. you to make that happen didn't happen by accident mm. nothing about the Sam Willows or any of these artists mm. was an accident mm. it was always a calculated choice but of course if you're a consumer you don't see that mm. and now with that vision in mind that oh they can do it why can't I do it and it doesn't happen for them they get upset mm. and because they don't have the community around them they don't have that network mm. around them mm. They, mm. they just rage by themselves and there's no one <laughs> that they can go to to get a different viewpoint yes. or to get some sort of balance or yeah. to get any sort of counsel yeah. and that's the danger of living in your silo of living in your bubble yes because you don't know and you don't see like how yeah. is it that they can do it and i can't do it yeah it must be the system that's broken yeah you know because artists don't want to yeah. do it ourselves yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it okay. must be you it's not me so i think that maybe the 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 key takeaway yeah. as it were because i know yeah. i know tiktok we're, we're running we're running behind is that the i would i would like to, to talk about the importance of community yeah the importance of building bridges mm. and being more than just one person understanding mm. that you as an artist you sit and your craft and your practice sits within a wider ecosystem mm. and that ecosystem has sister ecosystems yes and that there is so much to be gained from getting out of your bubble yes. and talking to people and that's what i've always been trying to do like talk to people and just make that connection and totally. tell those stories, you know? Amazing. Guys, so Audrey Lim for NMP, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do this. Thank you so much, Audrey. Thanks for yes, having me. Yes, thank you. Thank this you. Is fun. Thanks for the coffee. <laughs> Bye.
Thank you.